0: James chapter 4 today we're going to finish chapter 4 which is from verses 13 to 17 Um, and and as we've studied through this letter this letter um, of James it might have struck you that living life as a Christian is different than living life without Christ It's different. There's some different things that that we're called to. There's a different perspective that we have on a lot of things. And even the ways that we interact with the people around us, the people in our families, the way we are at work, the way we are at school, everything gets impacted when we are following after the Lord and as we see the ways that he calls us to live life differently. We've been called out of the world and into a new way of life, but still living in the world. And that's actually what Jesus prayed when he was praying for his followers. He prayed to the Father in John 17, verses 15 to 18, and he said that's exactly what's going to happen. Here's what he said. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Because we know the evil one is here in this world. And he says, they, meaning his followers, us, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this different way of living that we're called to affects every aspect of our lives. Everything. And if it doesn't affect everything in your life yet, you're actually not doing it the way he calls you to do it. it is, it's gonna affect the way we spend our time, the way we spend our finances, our recreation, our relationships, our friendships, our families, what we say, what we do at home, at school, at work. You name it, your faith and your, your new perspective of life should affect everything about your life. And when we choose to follow Jesus, it's more than just hiring an advisor, you know, some consultant in heaven. It's more than even uh, having God as like a, a business partner that we work with. You know, it, it's not just that. It's... it's it's far more than that. What we're doing is we're devoting ourselves to following him as our Lord and Master. As our Lord and Master. And instead of making our own decisions independently, we now bring everything to God. The language, that, that language of Lord and Master is really what describes the relationship. And it's what we see throughout the scripture of those who followed hard after God. It's that kind of thing, this Lord and Master relationship. In fact, Paul, who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, often described himself as this Greek word doulos. All right, James, also in chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter, describes himself the same way, doulos. And that word can be translated in a few different ways. Sometimes it's translated as servant. Sometimes it's translated as bond servant, which we could talk a little more about what that is or sometimes it's translated as slave now slavery in the bible realize this slavery is addressed in the bible slavery among jews in the jewish culture was a bit different than the inhumane brutal slavery that we know from early america and even if you go back into the, the greek empires and the roman empires that type of chattel slavery is very different than the slavery described uh, in the in the bible um, however, um, the context of that is, is what we have as slave. I think if if Paul was, was still here today, um, he may not have used the, uh, he may not have translated himself as slave, but he definitely would have said servant, probably bond servant. And the reason that bond servant is so important is because what a bond servant did is it wasn't that they were bought at a market, a slave market; it was voluntary. Uh, a voluntary choice to become a servant that was specifically contracted and bonded to a master. All right? And so when we look at, at this and we think about the way that these apostles describe themselves as servants, as slaves of God, what they're saying is we're bond servants. We have chosen this path of following God with who we are. We have chosen voluntarily to put ourselves underneath him as our Lord and master. It's very different than the Bible saying, God is your master, deal with it. Instead, what we find in the graciousness and giving life of God, what we find is that he comes and pursues us, as we just sang in that song, the reckless love of God coming to pursue us. He pursues us and offers us relationship in this way. We then respond to that draw and we say, yes, we choose to put ourselves underneath, submit ourselves to God, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. We submit ourselves to his leadership and his lordship over our lives. Christians have chosen to offer our lives in service to God, just like James, just like Paul. We've chosen to offer our lives in service to him. And we formed a bond with God Almighty and made him our Lord. And once we've done that, our decisions are no longer our own. This relationship is different. Now that might seem a little bit scary. I think for, uh, for modern independent human beings, that seems terrifying. Like, wait a minute. You're telling me I'm giving up my decisions. I'm giving up the control I have of my own life. I'm my own boss. And you're telling me that not only do I have to have a boss at work, I'm like putting myself underneath like the ultimate boss. Yes. Yes, that's what's happening. Now, if we were entrusting our lives to another human being, that should be a little terrifying, right? Because we know human beings, and I know there's some good ones sitting in this room right here. And even those good ones are imperfect. So to say, I'm gonna give everything to another person and put myself under a person, who that's scary. But what are we really talking about here? What we're talking about is putting ourselves under the creator and sustainer of our lives. The one who is righteous, perfect, loving in every single way one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present. Some people think that Christians are crazy to put themselves under God. I think you're kind of crazy not to when you start considering what's actually happening here. And in the next two sections of this letter, um, the first one we'll look at here this week, and next week we'll look at the second one, James is challenging believers. Remember, this letter is written to other Christians. He's challenging believers who might have forgotten the commitment they made to become a servant of God, to really put themselves underneath the authority and lordship of God. A Christian chooses to submit themselves entirely to him. And he does it in in this passage by describing a typical business person with a dream and a goal, all right? So let's read it. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Here's what he says. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So today what we're going to look at is we're going to talk about plans and profits. All right, that's what he is saying here. We've got this person, this hypothetical business person that says, "Hey, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do this thing. I've got a plan and I'm going to make some profit." All right, and that's what we're going to talk about here today, plans and profits. Now, you might look at that and say, "Well, what is wrong with that?" I mean, that seems like a pretty legitimate statement. What's wrong with this optimistic entrepreneur that that says this particular thing here in verse 13? It it seems great, honestly. He or she has a plan and they're ready to throw themselves into it. They say, hey, let's, let's do this. I've got together my business plan. I've researched the market and, and I thought through the details. I'm motivated. Let's move forward. Let's go, let's go and do this. Let's make some profit. They, you know, get together they, with their partner. They're figuring this all out. They grab themselves a Bible verse out of Proverbs sixteen nine, which says this, the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. And they say, this will be great. You know, we'll make, we've made our plan. It, the Lord will establish us. Let's go, go team. Now, if this person's not a Christian, that's a good one. It's a good plan. Seems good. Seems right above board. But as a Christian, James is saying that they forgot something very important. And that's what he's trying to get across here. Our plans and our lives are no longer our own when we become Christians, right? As Christians, our lives and our plans are no longer our own. I just told you, that's what we talked about at the beginning. We've chosen to be servants, slaves even, of God. And we, as we've chosen to submit ourselves to his plans for our lives, the thing that's missing from this entrepreneur's great idea is that they haven't asked their Lord about it. That's his whole point. The the plan itself at face value is fine. It's all good. Those are great ideas. But you've got to remember you're a servant of God. And so a servant no longer has free reign to just run and do whatever he needs to do. He needs to clear that with his master. And James tells us if we do that, if we're trying to make these plans without him, we're sinning. Now, that doesn't mean that God would never tell you to, as, as the, that person says, he wouldn't tell you to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's, it's not that God's anti-profit or anti-you starting a business. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what James is saying. In fact, God himself may have placed that idea in your mind. He may have given you that passion and that desire. But as his servants, we're called to clear that with him. So let's talk more about plans and profits. I, I think that it's good that we study this today because this is one of the places that well-meaning Christians get off track in life. And, and it's, I, I don't blame you for it, I've done it myself. It's, it's easy for us to just kind of forge our way ahead, go forward in life the way we, we think, the best that we possibly can, um, but it can sometimes lead us off track. You know, the the people that get off track there, they use the the minds that the good Lord has given them. They address a problem or pursue an opportunity, but are surprised when it doesn't go well and find out later that it was really not part of God's plan at all. It was purely their plan. And even if their intent was not to ignore God in it, may not have set out to say, oh, I wasn't trying to offend God. James calls it arrogant sin, okay? Okay. Now, why would he go so far as to say it's sin? Can't we just say, oh, like, it's just kind of an oversight on my part, or I just, I forgot it, you know? Sin, that feels, feels kind of heavy. But why would James bring it up and say, no, it's actually, it's sin? Because it's forgetting the relationship that we have with our Lord and Master and setting off on our own path. And he calls it arrogance because it's a belief that we know the best way forward on our own. But what James reminds us of here is he says, yeah, but you don't have the same perspective on life, on even your own life that God has. That's why he would call it sin. So here's my first point. If you're taking notes and I encourage you to do it and as the announcement told you today, if you go onto the church center app, there's a little notes thing there that you can put it in on your phone or if you're a paper paper writer, do that. But if you're taking notes, here's your first note. God's plans, his plans are different than ours and his prophets are different than ours, okay? God's plans and his prophets are different than ours. Now, sometimes they line up and it's great when that's working that way. When his plans are our plans and his prophets are our prophets, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But sometimes they don't, they don't line up but they're different than ours. In the, the prophet Isaiah, verse 50, or chapter 55, verse, starting verse six, here's what it says there in Isaiah. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What we have to remember is that even our highest and best ideas, the greatest plans we can come up with are still far below the realm of God. The best of those ideas are still below the realm of God. And even if we find great earthly success and profit in something, that doesn't guarantee that that's what God had for us to do. That's sometimes a surprise for people because how do we usually judge success? We look at people and we say, whoa, they made it in business, they're wealthy, they're good looking, and they're healthy. They must be under God's gaze. It's everything, they must be doing everything just right. But for some of those people that have gotten to that spot, they realize, "Ooh." (laughs) I got here all right, but it wasn't the way other people think about it. And on the flip side of that, we'll look at other people that experience financial ruin, the loss of a business, loss of a relationship, a divorce, estranged from their family, whatever. And we say, oh, they obviously aren't following God. Guys, that is all just earthly thinking. (laughs) We don't understand all those things in the way that God understands those things. As believers, we have to then learn to plan differently because his plans are different than our plans, okay? So how does the Bible teach us to make plans and make decisions? So maybe some of you here today, you woke up this morning and and thought, I've got a decision that I gotta make here soon. And I don't know how to make that decision. Well, guess what? The Bible's gonna speak to you today. So listen up. Now, there are a few things that I I could point out and say this is part of the way a godly decision process should go. But today, I'm just going to focus on one of those things. One of the ways, one of the most important things that we can do as Christians to make our plans fall in line with God's plans, our master, is through prayer. It's prayerfully considering our plans, all right? In prayer, when I'm talking about prayer, it's about communication. And prayer is actually meant to be two-way communication. Most of the time it's not, especially when you first start praying, it's always one-way communication. It's like you're just throwing out words to God. Uh, I don't know, a big man, if you're up there, do you hear me? I'm not sure, but here, I hear I'm supposed to pray. All right. As, as time goes on and, and as you grow in your relationship with God, you, you realize, whoa, God actually speaks back. And I can develop a way of hearing the voice of God and being guided by God and, and hearing what it is that he has for me. And so at that stage of prayer, it now begins to this place, become this place where there's, there's actual communication going on, all right? And so the, the way that the Bible teaches us to make plans and decisions is through prayer. Prayer is the primary method for discerning God's plans for your life. There's a problem with that, though, because we don't always like to pray. And a lot of times when we pray, we don't get an answer in the time frame and the timeline that we'd like to get that answer. We can say, well, I prayed about it just this morning, 12 minutes ago, and I still haven't heard from God. That's not okay, right? That's not exactly the mentality of, oh, I'm a servant, he's the master. It's very different, right? Okay. If you were an employee of a company, would you make a major decision that affected that entire business without consulting the boss of the company, if possible? Probably not. If it was a really big deal, a lot of money was at stake, maybe the welfare or demise of a company is at stake, you're probably gonna talk to the boss. You'd probably wanna get some clearance on that. You wanna have some communication. Christians are servants of God. And in the same way, our decisions, large and small, should be discussed with our master. He cares about every part of your life, the big part and the little parts. And the Bible tells us that, that he even knows the numbers of hairs on your head, whether you got a lot or a little. <laughs> he knows and what's the point of that? He's saying even down to the small little bits of who you are and the things that matter or don't matter in your mind, he cares about those things. He, he really does care about you. When you, when you um, go into the Old Testament, I think that there's uh, one particular story um, came to my mind when I was thinking about this, preparing for this. Um, I, I was thinking about the, the, the character in the Bible of David. Now, David is pretty well known in the Bible. Um, If you've been around church very much, you've probably heard David. David, who became king of Israel. Uh, Even to this day, uh, Jews consider David their greatest king. All right? Uh, David was also, at first, he was the little boy who fought Goliath. David was the one who followed after Saul, and and between that time period, he gathered together a a group of men. He was a, a warrior. He was a fighter. He was a soldier, and he became a good king, a powerful king, and the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. It's one of the little phrases that describes who he was, and it's a big deal. It's a really big deal, and the reason it was such a big deal is because what that was saying was he says this Man, this human being with all of his flaws and shortcomings, this man was still after God's heart and God cared about this man and God loved this man. That's the kind of like title that I want for myself, somebody after God's heart. But here's the thing about David, as you start digging into his life and studying his life, not all of David's decisions were good ones. If you're familiar with the story of Bathsheba, that's, that's also David committed adultery with this woman Bathsheba, and then on top of that, murdered her husband to try to cover things up. I mean, this guy did not make all good decisions. There, there was major flaws in that, all right? But many of his decisions can serve as a powerful example to us. And the, the story that came to my mind that I was thinking about was shortly after he became anointed as king of Israel. So between the time of defeating Goliath as a, as a teenager, to the time of actually being anointed as king, there was a big chunk of years, 14, 15 years that between that time. And, and he was, after he was king, um, the Philistines, which was another uh, warring tribe, nation right next to Israel, the Philistines knew, okay, hey, Israel is in a place right now that we can attack them. They've just gone through this change of kings. There's a, 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 a move there um, from Saul to David. They might be weak. This is a great time for us to kind of seize the opportunity to go up and try to take Jerusalem. So the Philistines gather at at Jerusalem and they they head up to come fight David, this newly anointed king. And David, what he does, and this is the, the, the reason I'm I'm looking at this story: David, even though he's now anointed as king, he's already established as king, he's already been through a lot of battles, a lot of fights. He could have simply said, yeah, I got this. I know what's up with this. I, I'm going to get my generals in place. We're going to go out and fight these guys. Everything's good. And that you, it seems like a good plan. But that's not what David does. What David does is the first thing he does is he goes to God. And he goes and he says, Lord, the Philistines are knocking at our front door. Should I take the army and go out and meet them? And God responds and says, yes, go up, meet them head on. So David, all right, we're doing it. That's what a servant, good servant would do. All right, God told, gave us the okay, we're going for it. They go out and they, they wipe out the Philistines. All right, now a short time later, the Philistines regather themselves and say, whoa, we just, you know, we just didn't bring enough guys. They still can't be that strong. At this point, we know their weaknesses, we're gonna get them. So they come back again. David now sees, oh, here come the Philistines again. I've already done this once before. Let's just go on out and go for it. No, that's not what he does. That's what I would have probably done. Instead, what David does is he says, okay, this is still a big decision. I'm going to the Lord first. He goes back to the Lord and says, Lord, the Philistines are back. What do you want me to do? Should we go up and meet them? Probably expecting God to just say, yep, just like last time, go for it. But here's what God says. He says, no, actually this time what I want you to do is I want you to go around the back of their army and you're gonna attack them from the rear. David's like, all right, that's what we're doing. So he takes the army out, they go through and they wipe out the Philistines. And you don't have to deal with the Philistines for quite a while longer after that. Now, you see the point? My point is, here's a king, established king. He knows what to do. He's a seasoned warrior. He's got all the army at his disposal. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He knows what should probably happen next. But he still, as a servant of God, chooses to say, I'm still going to run this through the master. He deferred his decisions to God, his master. Now, here's what we do. We tend to ask God to bless our plans instead of asking him to guide our plans. Okay, I'm going to say that again for you. We tend to ask God to bless our plans instead of asking him to guide our plans. And we have to choose his guidance if we want his blessings. We don't like to hear that a lot of times. So we want the blessings of God, but we also want to do it our way. But if we want his blessing, we we need to choose his guidance. There's a, a story in the New Testament that I think illustrates this very well. And this is a story um, with Jesus that happens to Jesus. And um, it's in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read it to you. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, it says, And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. I want you to picture this whole thing as it unfolds for us. Jesus is headed out. A man runs up and kneels, kneels down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking for the blessings of God, right? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Do you see what's happening here in this story? This young man... He really does want the blessings of God. He even comes forward humbly. He comes and kneels down before Jesus and says, what, what can I do for that blessing? I want eternal life. And he thinks, I've got it. I've done what I needed to do. I've made these good plans. I'm following life the way that I think that it's gonna please God. And sure enough, what does Jesus come back with? Well, you know the commandments and he rattles them off. You need to do this, you need to do that. He's like, yes, I've done all those things. Perfect, I'm ready. But Jesus looks into his heart and says, Yeah, but there's actually something else for you. For you, he says, I see that you've got an idol in your heart of your possessions. And so, for you, the thing that you need to do is you need to sell all this stuff and get away from it, and then come follow me, and then you're gonna be able to do what you need to do. But what does he say there? What what does it tell us there? But the young man's like, Wait a minute. That's not my plan, that's not what I want. What I want is the blessing on top of what I've already been doing. And you see my point? That point is from what we usually do. We want God to bless us instead of asking him to guide us into his plan. He wanted the blessing of God on his own terms, but it appears that he wasn't willing to take the guidance with it. You know, when I counsel people, if they come and ask me, you know, hey, what do you think about this? Or what does the Bible say about that? Um, counseling is sometimes difficult in this way for me. I've, I've worked hard for most of my life trying to understand the Bible well enough to, to, to give biblical guidance. I, and if, if someone asks for that advice, I can usually point them on the right path. But that's just the easy part. <laughs> Telling them, oh yeah, this is what the Bible says about that. This is how you're supposed to do this. This is how you're supposed to live. That part's the easy part. But what, as James tells us here, you can know the right thing to do, but fail to do it and, and thereby sin, right? Just because you know the right thing to do doesn't always mean you're going to do the right thing. Jesus, though, was the perfect example of a person who was always seeking the Father through prayer And then he stayed focused on doing the will of his father. It's not enough to simply pray and say, God, what's your plan for my life? And then hear the plan and say, okay, I I did it. I prayed and I asked, now I know what your plan is. I'm gonna go do this. No, you have to not only ask for the plan, receive the plan, but then you gotta commit yourself to doing it, to moving forward in that way. Jesus is the one who taught us to pray, our father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Christians, we fight battles within ourselves to continually yield to God, to say, not my will, but your will be done. And that's how Jesus lived. In John five nineteen, it tells us, it says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, referring to himself, The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And down in verse 30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus himself submitted himself to the leadership of the father in such a way that he says, even I am not picking my path. I'm allowing him to pick the path and I'm following what it is that he calls me to do. So if Jesus knew that his plans had to go through his father, how much more should ours? And and I really do firmly believe this, guys, that if we would begin planning this way and following through with it, we can't go wrong. You wanna figure out how to live the life that God's calls you to live? It's really not as complicated as we usually make it. The reason it's so complicated for most of us is because we're always looking for a loophole. Trying to always find a way that, well, I can kind of follow God here, but what about if I do a little of this? Maybe he gives me a little space over here. I know that God's given us free will. So, you know, how, how, how much can I get away with? How much can I, you know, straddle the line? No, if you really want to know the, the way to not go wrong, ask him what it is that he wants and do what it is that he says. Now, even when we do that, though, even when we do follow his plans, will there still be setbacks and failures? Yes. Yes, there will. Will there be sorrow and pain? Yes. Welcome to earth. But we will be right in the center of God's path for us, which is the best place we could ever be. And as we finish up here, just briefly going to look at prophets and what that looks like here. How do we, as humans... Measure profit. How do we measure profits? Typically, profits are self-focused. All about us, all about ourself. If it's financial profit, we say, great, we've got this amount of profit so that I can buy what I want. That's the point of profit. If it's maybe something that yields like a social profit, we're like, okay, great, this makes me feel loved. I've got people in my network. There's a social reward there, a profit. If it's something that gives us like a psychological profit, what is it? Oh, it's, I feel like a winner. I've got profit here. But James reminds us that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's what he says. He's like, look, your life is short. You don't even know. Maybe you'll be here another 10 years, maybe another 20, maybe another two days. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Our lives are short and they're temporary. And here's the point. If the only profits that we're aiming for are for ourselves, we're aiming too low. God has a different economy. God, I already told you, God has different, and a different idea of profits than we do. God tends to spend for the benefit of others. Our profit is all about how does it serve me, me, me? God views prophets in an outward way. God's prophets are eternal. He isn't looking at temporary prophets. He's looking at eternal prophets, which sometimes come at extreme costs, right? Look at the life of Jesus. Jesus came not for his own prophet, but for ours. And as his servants, we are told to take the same mindset All right, listen to Philippians 2, 4 to 8. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says this about himself. He says, the son of man, which is another name for himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We also takes a form of a servant. And in doing so, we give up a lot of the profit of the world. But in return, think about the returns, guys. The return for this, of pursuing the Lord, of committing yourself to him. You receive eternal life and eternal rewards. That saying, you can't outgive God, it's true. And it's in his heart to bless us. So I want to invite the, the band back up here as we, we wrap up this service this morning. And just a couple, a couple of thoughts as we finish this. If you're not a Christian here today, and honestly, I hope that every Sunday we have people here that are not Christians. We want to have non-Christians coming to our church. We need to invite our non-Christian friends to hear the gospel message. If you're not a Christian here today, listen, what this tells us in God's word here today is that every, even your best, your very best plans, they're not God's plans for you. And you may find great success and profit in this life, but it's not the eternal profit that God intends for you. So my call to you today is to lay down your plans and make Jesus your Lord and allow him to guide you because it's only in following him that you'll find the life you're longing for. It's very sad the people that you see make it to the top of the world and realize it was empty. And they make it to the way up high, it just means it's a long way down on the fall but that's not what god has for us. And if you are a christian here today, what's my encouragement to you? It's what I've tried to be doing with myself this week is take an inventory of your planning process and really take an accounting of the profits that you're pursuing. Are you in conversation with god about the decisions you make? Are there places where you need to repent and turn things back over to your master? Have the prophets of earth blinded you from actually seeking the prophets of God? And we'll be addressing that more next week. So maybe today for you is just a day to recommit yourself to God as Lord and allow him to guide and bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word here today. And I pray, Lord, as I prayed even before this message, I pray that we would have ears to hear that we would recognize what it is that we're being taught and that we would allow those truths to not only hit our heads but to hit our hearts and transform us change changes. Lord, we confess that we often take things into our own hands and we step out of the relationship of following you. And Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to be those people that are truly pursuing you and pursuing your way. We know that you came to give us abundant life. And when we don't find that abundant life, it's because we have gotten off track. And so Lord, I pray today that you would put us back on track. Let us run all those decisions through you. Let us be reminded that we are your servants and allow us to be people that do what you call us to do. Speak to us, Lord. I just pray for our prayer lives. I pray that the people of this church would learn to pray, that they would learn to recognize your voice, to be led and guided by your Holy Spirit. You told us that you sent your Spirit. You said, Jesus, before you left, you said, It's to your benefit that I go, because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come and permeate the hearts of those that would receive him. And as Christians, we have received your Holy Spirit. You now dwell within us. And I pray, Lord, that we could recognize the voice of your Spirit within us and that we could allow you to guide every step of our lives. And Lord, I pray for courage, for those here today that there may be some things that they recognize and they realize, hey, this is not what God's calling me to do. Maybe they've been headed down a path of sin and they're doing something that is not right in the eyes of God. I pray that today you would give them the courage to bring that to you, to lay it down at your feet, to repent from that, to leave it behind and turn and follow your path. Whatever that might be, in whatever part of their life that might be. Lord make us a people that are holy as you are holy. A people that are pure, a people that are walking with you. A people that are not dragged down by the chains of sin. But people that are truly free in every way. And Lord, I also just want to pray for any of those today that that may not know you and are sensing something that they haven't sensed before, a draw of something outside of themselves, your spirit calling them to you. And I pray that today would be a day that they could repent and believe in you as their savior and that they would come to call you Lord and master. So draw near to them today and allow them to do that. Guide us this week, Lord. Build us up this week. Strengthen us, heal us. Do all that you want to do among us. As a church, we pray these things in Jesus' name.